All right, uh, listeners, uh, old and new, uh, welcome to this week's edition of News from the Drug Warfront, and is brought to you by Karma, the Canberra Alliance for Harm Minimisation and Advocacy, and the Connection, which is Canberra's peer-based drug and alcohol service for First Nations clients. Um, now, the aim of the show, for those who've listened um, before, is to not only provide some of the news that's happening in the world of uh, drugs and drug policy, but also to hopefully encourage people to think about um, the current setup uh, of prohibition and whether it is worth persevering or we should be promoting some um, different ways of dealing with the fact that people use drugs. Well, in fact, that's what we generally do. We drug use is a fact, and that's something that we need to come to grips with. And Karma and the Connection provide a wide range of services for the Canberra community. And new um, new listeners need to know that they provide advocacy, peer treatment, support, opioid management treatment, maintenance treatment, or advocacy to opioid maintenance treatment, they don't provide it themselves, hepatitis C treatment, education, art therapy, support groups, rehab services, dealing with stigma and discrimination, mentoring and referrals to services. Above all, Karma and The Connection are harm reduction services. They're both located in the Belconnen Churches Centre at Shop 17, Level 154 Benjamin Way. The drop-in hours are 10am to 4pm, Monday to Friday, and contact can be made on 6253 3643 or by emailing karma at info at karma.org.au. Um, while we're here, we just say the next uh, naloxone training is today at the Early Morning Centre. Uh, if you ring a demo at Karma on 62533643. You can find out if there's a place there available for you. Naloxone, we just advocate non-stop because it is so useful and because this week in particular we want to bring to everyone's notice and although many people who um, use opiates or opioids will know that there have been a number of overdoses recently, um, in particular, I want to do a shout-out or a valet to Chris, who used to be a resident of Havelock House, who recently died of an overdose, and make sure that people are aware that drug use, particularly powders and under-the-cover, under-counter or black market drugs, are dangerous and very difficult to tell what the quality is going to be like. And we know from the uh, information from the drug testing service that the variety or the variation in uh, quality of the opioids or heroin at the moment is between 36 or 30% and 63%, mm. which is what we told you last week. Wide so disparity. So be very yeah. careful. Better to use less rather. You can always use more. You can't use less. You can never use less, right? Once you've done it, you've done it. So better if you're using a new kind of um, heroin if, what, from someone you've never used from before, and that's quite likely at the moment. Take notice of it. Be careful. Take a little bit first. Try it to see what it's like. Then have whatever you think you can take, but don't be a pig about it. Mm. Don't have all of it if you don't know what it's like. If you, particularly if you're alone, um, make sure that you test it. If it's from a new source, 
make sure you know what the quality of it is and if you know anybody else that's used it, see how they've responded to it. Yeah. Everyone always says it's stronger, so you can't rely on the person you're buying it from. They'll no. always say it's really strong, so be careful. So your best bet is to take a little bit, try a little bit first and then see how you react to that. So Vale to you, Chris, and that's in particular from Steph, um, who wanted to make sure. And hello to you too, Steph. Good morning. And no, look after yourself. Really sad news. Yeah. yeah, it was very distressing. And it's distressing. We're losing people that never come back and never should die in the first place. Mm. The naloxone training in particular, as I just mentioned, people need to attend. Everyone should be carrying naloxone, I believe. Um, because it the, only does one thing, but it does it well, and that's reverse the effects of an opioid overdose. And if it, it doesn't do anything else. Hmm. So if you haven't dropped from an overdose, it won't do anything to you, and it will only kick the opioid off the receptors for a while, yep. okay? It just works for a little while. It doesn't, if you only use one of the um, containers, one of those nasal uh, sprays, it will only kick it off for a while. You will get the effects of the heroin back again mm. or the opioid that so you're using back again. So keep an eye and call an ambulance. Yeah, and, but yeah. keep an eye on it. Make sure that if you're with somebody who's used, if you know how, if you've got uh, naloxone on you, use it, but get in touch with the, the ambulance. Stay in touch with them. They will keep you on the phone and tell you how to behave. And if you need to call an ambulance, then do. But if people come back to consciousness uh, and you can keep an eye on them for a little while, if you don't send out an ambulance, you're saving an awful lot of money as well as saving a friend's life, mm -hmm. which is really important. We don't need to lose any more young people or old people or anyone to an opioid overdose unless it's intentional. Mm. And, I mean, that happens from time to time. People do want to go out that way, people, when they're older, if they're in extreme pain and don't want to be in pain anymore. Certainly that's what happens, but not an unintentional overdose. There's no need for it anymore. Naloxone's available, it's free, and if you do the training, you'll know how to use it and know how to save your mate's life. Yeah, no, it's one of the most powerful things Karma has been involved with, um, having proposed the idea, done the initial trial. That's um, right. And now it's spread all over Australia and it's available in most places. Most pharmacies have got it. Uh, you can get it for free if you do the training. You can get it. You don't need a prescription to buy it, but it's cheaper if you do the training because you don't have to pay for it at all then. And once you do the training, you learn a little bit more than that about you learn more about opioids. You learn more about resuscitation. You learn about opioid overdose management. Yeah, yeah. No. And that's important. We need to stay alive. If we don't stay alive... We can't complain, can we? <laughs> well, <no. laughs> and that's what we need to do is to talk about this stuff. No, well said, Mary. Okay, um, this news from the drug uh, war front um, focuses on news stories that are relevant to illicit drug users from Australia and around the world. Many of the articles featured in the program come from other sources, including the mainstream media. 
Um, so the contents do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of karma and the connection. Karma does not condone nor condemn drug use and we do not promote illegal activity. However, we do recognise that drug use happens and will continue to happen regardless of laws and United Nations conventions. As such, karma focuses on harm reduction messages, drug treatment support services, advocacy and community development. We seek to reduce the harms associated with drug use and its criminalisation through the provision of programs that foster community development and the delivery of person-centred holistic health care. Karma advocates for equity of health service delivery for all people. Not unreasonable. No, I wouldn't have thought so. I thought given um, the sad news that you just mentioned before of that... Um, of the overdoses, overdoses yeah, overplate. and the prevalence at the moment it seems to be quite high. So yes, yeah, they're they're it's just they're all lost lives, a, a tragedy, and, and lost, lost um, capabilities, lost potential, Jeffrey, lost of loved ones. You know, we know so many people with such a lot of talent, and the fact that they use an opioid is no reason why they should die. No, the thing that really bothers me, Marion, is, and, you know, this goes back to the vetoing um, of the heroin trial back in the 90s. Imagine if that had gone ahead yeah. and we actually had a program where people, you know, could just get, you know, pure, unadulterated heroin yep. um, and just function. No one would even know unless yep. you chose to tell them. Um and it's not costly. It's and all those people could be productive. It's certainly far less costly than um, putting someone in jail or taking them through the judicial system, or even tr just treatment services. If you have a maintenance program, and certainly it reduces the um, potential for things like hepatitis C transmission, HIV transmission. Well, think of all the negative health consequences of just trying to maintain your usage in a black market environment where you're getting uh, adulterated um, drugs, uh, you know, just the whole hassle and grind of dealing with a black market. It's, um, Indeed. And, you know, how much of uh, the funding for alcohol and drug, uh, alcohol and other drug uh, related programs is actually dedicated to interdiction mm. as opposed to safety and um, prevention of harm, which is really should be the focus of any kind of program rather than just making sure that you jail people, yeah. which is extremely expensive activity in the first place. And if we made, uh, if we had a heroin program, you know, I wonder how much of the jail would be empty. Oh, it wouldn't be anywhere near us. Um, Would we need a jail? Would we need to extend it? I mean, the the thing about jails is once they're once you've got one, you have to fill it up yeah. to make it cost effective. You build one, you go. And fill then it. once it's full, you have to extend it because people once it's available, people start getting jail sentences more regularly than they used to. Yeah. Yeah, no, it makes anyway, no sense. Makes no sense. Let's go to the music. Yeah, Chef. it's um, Johnny Thunders, and it's a uh, it's a very uh, emotional song. It's called "You Can't Put Your Arms Around a Memory." Doesn't pay to try. All the smart boys know why. It doesn't mean I didn't try. Never know why. Feels so cold and all alone. 
That is a very powerful and emotional it is. song. You can't put your arms around a memory. And that's uh, in honour of what everyone who's lost their life. All the people that we know that, that have lost their lives due to opioid overdose or drug use or illicit it's just drug sad. use. Just yeah. But yeah. yeah. Okay, look, we've got a story speaking of the jail briefly before, and this is um, entitled Riots Predicted as the ACT Government Announces the Alexander McConaughey Centre Smoking, Smoking ban. ban. This is by Blake Foden and Lucy Bladen, September the 1st. Uh, City News, I think. Um, yeah, I've got this from Monica. It just doesn't say um, where it comes from. Where it exactly. comes from. Yeah. I think it's City News. But anyway, the ACT government has been warned to expect, quote, huge problems, including violent riots at the Alexander McConaughey Centre following the announcement that it will ban smoking inside the Canberra Jail. Quote, I don't believe this is going to go as smoothly as they may think, a person involved in the prison system told, and oh, no, it's the Canberra Times, yep. after Corrections Minister Mick Gentleman revealed work on the ban had already begun. Mm. The Territory decided to pursue a ban after one was recommended by an independent review which was released earlier this year. Mm. Since uh, staff at Canberra's prison have previously aired concern that the smoking ban could spark a riot. Guards who spoke to the Canberra Times on condition of anonymity said that while smoking was a health and safety risk, they were more fearful that the ban would generate significant unrest. Prison staff will not be allowed to smoke on site once the ban takes effect either, said Mr Gentleman. Uh, and Mr Gentleman said that they too would be supported to quit smoking. 
quote, we, all, we know that quitting smoking is tough, but for the health and safety of all detainees and staff, it has to be done, he said. About 82% of detainees at the Canberra prison smoked in 2016, according to a survey conducted at the time, with 14% taking up smoking while they were in custody. And it's unlikely to have gone down massively, oh, I would wouldn't have, thought. have thought so. ACT, well, yeah, what else do you fill your time with, Jeffrey? You know, apart from eating, smoking, smoking, yeah, drinking sleeping. coffee. Yeah, yeah. ACT Corrective Services Commissioner Ray Johnson said the survey also showed about 60% had tried to quit smoking while in prison and 67% indicated they would like to quit. The ACT in Western Australia are the only Australian jurisdictions that still allow, allow smoking behind bars. That doesn't mean you can't we smoke ha- outside. Yeah, well, I would, have, I would have thought the best compromise would be to have a an outdoor smoking area. That you know, well, outdoor smoking is permissible everywhere else. I mean, the amount of stuff that is taken away from you in prison. Um, it is phenomenal. Mm. You know, you really don't have the freedom to do anything uh, except be outside, and I don't know how long you're allowed to do that for at the Alexander McConaughey Centre. Um, but I remember saying on this show, actually, a few weeks ago, Jeffrey, that um, the price of a, a, a pouch of uh, ox, white ox, was $1,000 in New South Wales prison system. Now, that's obscene. Once you make something contraband, and haven't we learned that from the laws over the years, (laughs) once you make something contraband, automatically A, the price goes up, and B, people's behaviour changes to being much more subversive, much more furtive, and much more violent. And much more risky. Risky, indeed. Okay, speaking on condition of anonymity, a corrections officer... um, told the Canberra Times, inmates unable to access prison bank accounts in order to buy cigarettes had, quote, gone nuts in the past. He described cigarettes as, quote, the only vice available to stressed prisoners, predicting that they would now turn their attentions to having tobacco smuggled into jail rather than, quote, stick with support services like counselling. I really do think there could be rights of some sort. Despite the reservations of some... The ACT Chief Health Officer, Karen Coleman, said she was pleased with the move to make the jail smoke-free. Of course she is. The AMC has a significantly higher smoking rate than the general population, and this is an important step to protect all detainees, staff and visitors from the harmful effects of smoking, Dr Coleman said. (sighs) Mr Gentleman said he expected it would take about a year to transition from smoke-free AMC with inmates to be offered support. Quote, detainees are not being asked to quit cold turkey, he said. Nicotine replacement therapies and a range of supports to help people cope with withdrawal symptoms will be available during the transition. And that's all well and good, and I'm a big supporter of NRT for when people want to quit or attempt to cut down. Yep. And, you know, everyone's different. You know, the great thing about the weekend program is people can get a voucher and go to the chemist in Northbourne and get a selection of NRT products and mix and match and see what works for them. Yeah. But it doesn't work for everyone. No, and as with all drugs, you cannot give up. I mean, you can't force people to give up just because you want them to give up. If they don't want to do it, it's not going to happen. 
So people will just be more furtive in their behaviour. Um, so I really think that haven't thought that through. That uh, haven't I haven't been in favour of. Uh, this is as a, not necessarily as a smoker, although I am a smoker. The point is that if you want to reduce the harm of smoking to people, you need to look at harm reduction. Yeah. Not just that abstinence, and that has been the case for everything, for all drugs. Yep. We've talked about reducing the harm. And the best way to reduce the harm is to make it not just less available, but encourage people's behaviour in a positive sense to change yep. rather than make them do what you tell them to yep. do. You know, that there's enough uh, bother in prisons in terms of ha what they're permitted and not permitted to do uh, without enforcing something like not smoking yeah. as well. I don't think it's going to be a very And they're not going to stop people from using coffee. Well, not yet. So that's another drug they need to think about. What are they going to do with the coffee and tea? Well, if you follow that. And Coca-Cola, yeah, I mean yeah. the same thing. You've got yeah. to start thinking Sugar. about what <laughs> Yep. Oxygen. Yep. You've got to think about what people need to survive and how it is best to look after their health or to help them look after their health, which is more important. They need to people need to want to be healthy or want to give up smoking. Exactly. You don't get anywhere but forcing people to do stuff. No. Um I found a couple of the old CDs back in the day. We used to just record five songs on a blank CD and I um, found Peter Tosh's Legalise It, which I lost the CD, so let's play that. Peter okay. Tosh. The future is bulletproof. The aftermath is secondary. It's time to do it now and do it loud. Kill joys, make some noise.
if that was legalised, I'm not into it. <laughs> I actually have no idea who that Neither band or that song I. was. So <laughs> don't judge the CD by its um <laughs> by what's on that what is written on the what's cover. What's written on the cover? Yep. Sorry about that. No idea what it was. Anyway, we'll be going to the news then. But in between time, I'll just tell you that uh, there's a serious extension project, which is Service Users Satisfaction and Outcome Survey. Atoda is organising a series of focus groups with people who have experience of using alcohol and other drug services in order to improve measures of service user experiences of alcohol and other drug treatment and harm reduction services. So that also means uh, even going to the chemist and going in even one of the walk-in medical centres if you've got something wrong maybe with your veins or some injury, but also needle exchange programs. So Karma will help Atoda to run these focus groups. If you want to help us improve the services you use, take part in a survey group discussion and share your experiences Please contact Karma on 62533643 or a total on 62496358 and leave your details. We'll do more about that after the news, but we'll go to the news first, I think. Yeah, yeah? look, it's, it's a really important, properly co-designed. That's um, right. And it's a, you get paid $50 and it's only an hour and a half. Exactly. And you get to provide... You know, useful information on the services that are in the ACT. Absolutely. Lead to better outcomes and better better treatment. Yes, we do have to go to the national news, which we uh, will do. Yep. And we shall return after the news. So, um, all right. We'll be back. All right. It's a bit after four minutes after 11, and you're listening to news from the drug war front brought to you by Karma and the Connection. Okay, we've got a, a piece which sort of examines the context of the um, current process about um, decriminalisation of um, personal use of most drugs in the ACT. Uh, this is from Harry Frost and Craig Allen, ABC News, August the 28th. It's a fairly lengthy piece, but I think it's important because it gives some context to what is, um, you know, obviously a controversial reform. Anything that reforms drug laws, Marion, is... Is controversial yeah. and will always be, yes. Uh, at his lowest point, Richard Duckett was spending $300 a day on his uh, drug use. People don't want to go and use drugs uh, because they're thinking, screw society, I don't care, I'm going to do what I want, he said. <laughs> People use drugs mostly to kill the pain. For Mr Duckett, that pain stemmed from a traumatic childhood event which put him on a path to um, dependent use. I've smoked pot pretty much since I was 14 until a year or so ago, so pot's part of my staple diet. But heroin, heroin would be my drug of choice. I've been using it on and off since I was 18 and I'm 55 now. Over the intervening three decades, Mr Duckett says drugs took almost everything that he held dear, including his job as a community worker. It's quoted as saying, once I got right into the depths of it, I'm very difficult to manage it. Uh, as for, And it's difficult for me to hold a job down. I was going through a gram a day of heroin, and that's a lot of money that you have to earn. So I did do things that were unlawful to cover that gap. He turned to, quote, white-collar crime to fund his drug use, but he said he never resorted to violence, although he did fantasise about it when he was desperate for a hit. When I was doing the crime to pay for the habit I had, that lasted 18 months. It was horrible, and I really hated it, because um, there's that threat of, I'm going to be found out sooner or later. And, and this is what we were saying before, Marion. Yeah. If it was legal and 
people or wouldn't be in that situation. He wouldn't be forced to wrestle with these. Um, That's right. These and issues. He's, I mean, it's an absolute correct statement. People don't just say, screw society. No. I'll do what I want. I want to break the law. No. I want to be dishonest. I want to tell lies. No. It's I want not to cock up my job. Just everything. a bad person. Yeah. It's, you know, it's much more complex. I was always looking over my shoulder, waiting to be caught. Nothing lasts forever, and as clever as I think I am, things did come undone. Mr Duckett says he's now on the road to recovery and has found comfort and companionship in an unusual form. He's three pet rats. They're my little mates, he says. They're really good for my mental health, and they make a huge difference. Someone who's pleased to see you when you get home. They only last about two and a half to three years, which is a bugger because the emotional investment is not unlike a cat or a dog. Mm. Send us to treatment, not to jail. Mr Duckett supports a controversial ACT government plan to decriminalise some of Australia's most problematic drugs, including heroin, cocaine and uh, methamphetamine or ice. I don't think it's reasonable to expect police to get on top of it. People are going to do what people are going to do. That sounds like you. Yeah, that's rather, doesn't it? <laughs> he says uh, drug users have enough uh, else to worry about on top of fearing criminal charges for their drug use. To get a criminal convic conviction has lifelong consequences and that seems over the top in comparison to what the crime actually is, he says. Get it out of the criminal justice system and into the health system. Punishing people is not going to help them with their drug use at all. If anything, it's going to push, push them further down the road. Self-medication is a big term in my life history. It's what I was doing. But it was deemed criminal and that just doesn't seem right. Hmm. What is drug decriminalisation is the next heading. Under the ACT Labor government's amended proposal, hard drugs, whatever they are, uh, will remain illegal but decriminalise, be decriminalised. So small amounts will attract an infringement notice rather than a criminal penalty. It's like a speeding fine. Speeding is an illegal activity, but you will generally only get a fine, not a criminal charge, if you are caught. The proposed list of drugs runs from magic mushrooms and LSD right up to those drugs associated with what they consider the worst social harms, heroin, cocaine and ice. The allowable amount of each drug varies according to its strength and street value. I'd love to know how they're going to measure that. For example, five doses of LSD or one gram of heroin and 1.5 grams of ice. It would still be a criminal offence to sell drugs, possess more than the law allows for, quote, personal use, end quote, or drive with drugs in your system. And users could still face criminal charges from any other illegal behaviour, such as theft or violence, that is related to their drug use. The ACT has already legal, illegalised the possession of small amounts of cannabis. The detail of this latest proposal is being debated in the ACT's Legislative Assembly. However, as Labor and the Greens, which share government, support it, the bill is likely to pass in some form. I think one of the most contentious aspects is whether there would still be a system of fines which still makes it, in my opinion, part of the criminal justice system. Indeed. Because that's a, a state-sanctioned penalty. That's right. For yep. possession. Anyway, um, it goes on, next heading, is overseas examples show what can go right and very wrong. Drug reformers point to overseas examples like Portugal, which decriminalised illicit drugs back in 2000. Stephanie Stevens, acting chief executive of Canberra's largest provider of addiction support, Directions Health Services, says the Portuguese results were dramatic. 
quote, when Portugal decriminalised personal use of drugs, they didn't see an increase in drug use. They didn't see an increase in other related crimes, she says. What they saw was an in- a reduction in incarceration, an increase in treatment and a reduction in overdose deaths. That sounds pretty good to me, Mary. That sounds good, yeah. More recently in the United States, the state of Oregon introduced similar measures pledging to divert criminal justice funding into enhanced addiction treatment facilities. But nearly two years on, two years on, Portland Police Association President Aaron Schmaltz says his city's drug problems have worsened because the promised treatment options have not materialised quickly enough. Well, that, that should be underlined, shouldn't it? That if should the be. the treatment's not available, you can't refer people to it. Well, you have to invest in having That's services. That's right. You can't just stop one thing and expect it all to go away. It doesn't work like that. You have to make allowances for those people. If you're going to say to people... Okay, we won't send you to the criminal justice system, go to treatment, but there's no treatment available or not enough treatment available. What are they going to do? Well, they'll keep on doing what they're doing. Exactly. And if you get a, a thing saying, oh, we can't see you for six months or. Yeah, yeah, we can't. And you've got to ring up every day for a bed to make sure you're still keen to go. It's just crazy. Yeah, I agree. Um, We've yeah, recently, we've, we've certainly seen a huge explosion in overdose deaths and overdose events, he says. Open-air drug use disorder and certainly problems uh, that the problem of addiction has been exacerbated by the lack of available treatment and the lack of enforcement available. The most important thing is anything like this requires treatment to be fully in place, requires those off-ramps to be up and running before the curtain is lifted. Because if we don't, we've seen in Oregon what happens. There's no treatment and there's also more drugs and those are two bad things. Sergeant Schmaltz says liberal drug laws have made Portland a honeypot for drug dealers. Don't they love that honeypot? Oregonians are being targeted by cartels or other people who intend to sell narcotics, knowing that the ability of them being apprehended is significantly limited by the laws that we have here. Mm. Drug reform split the church. The push to decriminalise drugs has attracted support from other unexpected corners, including progressive Christians. The Uniting Church in Australia has called for all Australian governments to decriminalise drug use, to reduce the stigma of drug use and give better access to health support services. The Church's ACT and New South Wales moderator, Reverend Simon Hansford, concedes the position is controversial and other denominations may disagree. Quote, we are in no way pro-drugs, he says, but if we want to solve the problem of drug use and uh, in our communities, we don't see treating it as a criminal act, uh, issue actually is the way forward. We've found as a general rule that most faith traditions won't ally themselves with us on this issue. I've got to hand credit to the Uniting Church. Um, They've been the leaders in a lot of uh, of areas, a lot of socially contentious areas. And this is a tough one. And this is a hard one, but they've been responsible for running the uh, injecting centre, safe injecting centre in uh, King's Cross. So, And that's been going for 20 years with no adverse effects and certainly... Um, saved saved a lot of lives in the process, so it's well worth. And the more groups the, like churches and social groups and civil society that you know stick their neck out and well, and and you know do unto others. I mean, follow the Christian tradition, really, isn't it? Yeah, it's well, about what's the point of having those commandments if you pay no attention to them. 
you know, that does except seem a fair for point. drug users, do unto others, you know, as you would have them do unto you, except if they're drug users. Why are they excluded? Yeah, absolutely. The Reverend Hansford says compassion for drug users is his guiding concern. Quoted as saying, opinions often shift and change as it becomes a more personal conversation, and that's very true. When we talk about it in the third person and ask, what do you think about the drug laws or what do you think about same-sex marriage, which is another area that they were very forward about, um, people often pontificate and have an opinion. But when you say my niece or my child or my parents or whoever are involved in this conversation in a way that's personally affecting them, suddenly the conversation becomes more nuanced. If you know your Gospels, Jesus spends half his time fending off accusations of hanging and with the wrong kinds of people. The wrong kinds of people, I think, in this conversation may well be those affected by drugs. In well, fact, his best friend was a prostitute, yes? Well, wouldn't Mary Jesus Magdalene. be with, the, with drug users and fight in their corner? Absolutely, if that was what was happening. He'd be fighting for them and saying, yeah. you know, well, as, as I said, you know, the 12, 10 commandments, however yeah. many there are, yeah. they actually are really appropriate in this area. Think about other people. And he's right. When it becomes personal, when you're talking about someone's brother, sister, uncle, aunt, mother, father, grandfather, grandmother uh, or child, you're talking about to someone about something they know something about and don't have a propagandised version of. They may have a different, slightly different opinion, but it is driven by knowledge. Yeah. It uh, doesn't necessarily mean they're going to approve of drug use, but they're not going to be as adamantly anti-drug or pro-drug because they've had experience with people who've people close to them who've used drugs or been dependent upon drugs and know what know the background to it and uh, the potential for harm that's involved in it. So yeah, I yeah. think it's a very sensible approach. Well, remember when Bob Hawke um, shed tears, you know? Absolutely, like, because that was about his daughter. His daughter, Rosalind yeah. was, you know, went on to a methadone program and eventually stabilised, but yeah. it was really important to him. Well, it personalises the and, issue. And not only that, but because of that importance to the Prime Minister, our Health Minister, Dr Neil Blewett at the time, went over to the United States and his Principal Private Secretary said, look out, HIV is among 60% of injecting drug yeah, users in New York State. We need to do something about it. Yeah. And then San Francisco, it was among men who have sex with men. And look so at the result were, was a triumph. The result with HIV has been phenomenal. Absol- and it, that's been about harm reduction yes. and behaviour change, not simply about saying don't get HIV, don't have sex, don't use drugs. didn't work. It was no. about moderating behaviour to make it as safe as possible. Change. Yeah, yep. yep. What a shame that didn't become actually, you know, entrenched in public policy. Well, yeah, we we have a concept called peer education, which we use all the time, and is very important. And in fact, if all people who are educated by other people and respect 
that education or that information, um, they're generally getting it from one of their peers. Yes. You find that doctors respond well to doctors. Lawyers respond well to lawyers. Drug users are going to respond better to the information that they get from other drug users because they know it's not going to be tempered by the propaganda that's been around for 60 years yeah. at least. Or moral judgments. Or, or moral judgments, yeah. Or just the propaganda that's yeah. been surrounding us. Okay, the next uh, subheading is jail is not breaking addiction, ACT police say. The Chief Minister, Andrew Barr, admits that the community debate is difficult, but he believes that there is widespread support for change. He's quoted saying, I recognise that this is a significant cultural shift in how we deal with illicit drugs, and to some it will feel confronting, he told uh, the Legislative Assembly early this month. Most Canberrans, that would be uh, early last month, I would say, mm. most Canberrans understand whether it's a 20-year-old caught with a pill in their pocket on a night out or someone gap, uh, grappling with a de debilitating and harmful meth addiction, a criminal conviction is not going to positively change their behaviour. And in many cases, it's just going to make their lives worse. Right. However, the proposal does have the support of Directions Health Services support and he its head, Ms Stevens. She said... Criminal penalties only push users into the shadows. Criminal penalties create more stigma, the amount of chaos that ensues and the harm that is caused because of criminal penalties that are not at all related to the drug use itself is huge. They scare people off from accessing treatment and support because they are afraid of being marked as a criminal as opposed to receiving the health care that they need. End quote. Miss Stevens adds that there is a growing argument that prison does little to break addiction. The last thing that someone needs when they're experiencing problematic substance use and the chaos that comes with that is to be more disconnected from their community and have less of a chance to gain employment or have financial stability. That is what incarceration does. Okay. It may surprise some, but senior ACT police officers agree. Neil Gagan, the ACT's chief police officer and a deputy commissioner in the Australian Federal Police, says the existing criminal penalties do not discourage drug use. He's quoted as saying, the recidivism rates across the country show very clearly that what we're doing in relation to incarceration isn't working. We need to come up with a different approach. Every other jurisdiction is watching what we're doing. I don't think we can lose sight of that. I think we have got to try something differently. That's a very sensible statement, I might add. Yeah. Reforms will lead to chaos, the AFP had to come, didn't it? Not all of the AFP's top brass supports the ACT's plan. Earlier this year, AFP Commissioner Rhys Kershaw gave a Senate committee a blunt assessment of the proposed decriminalisation laws. This is from Rhys Kershaw, not from me. Quote, it will become a more dangerous society. It wouldn't be as safe as what we are enjoying today. So for me, it would lead to chaos, he said. I don't think uh, there's ever a safe level when it comes to those particular drugs. They are destructive. We're always open to different strategies. <laughs> really? <laughs> oh, yeah, in a pig's eye. But so far, the evidence is not stacking up that decriminalisation necessarily leads to less crime. I would debate I'd that. I'd debate that, yeah. There's also deep concern that methamphetamines have been included on the list with recent wastewater analysis, there we go again, the wastewater analysis, showing Australia's ice use topped a list of more than 20 countries. Australian Federal Police Association President Alex Caruana 
says the proposed allowable amounts of ice are far too high. We think they're very generous to a drug user. 1.5 grams of ice equals 15 hits of ice. Uh, he says, on what planet is 15 hits of ice personal use? If you use more than a certain amount, you're going to cook your brain. You're going to fry brain cells. And I'd suggest 15 hits in a day is more than personal use. And I would suggest you don't know what you're talking about. Deputy Commissioner Gorgon uh, agrees. Methamphetamines, in our view, he says, is the most dangerous drug in the community. We see it as a violent drug. We very rarely come across people who are affected by ice who aren't involved in some other sort of criminality. And why did we suddenly have a tsunami of ice? Because we had a tough on drugs approach from the government. And all the other ones are much more difficult to get. And we had an influx. And that's what happens. One door closes and a window opens. It was a deliberate profit-making decision by drug cartels. It worked. Worked a trade. Yep. And that's why we had the valet at the beginning of the show, you know, the overdose deaths from people who don't know what quality of drugs they're using purely because they've been pushed further and further underground by the laws. Anyway, it concludes. Although AFP, uh, the AFP supports the bill in principle, it fought to have ICE excluded from the list of decriminalised drugs but lost that battle, thank heavens. Deputy Commissioner Gorin says he will work with the laws he's given. Quote, we did have that discussion with government and they've made a policy decision to go in a different direction and they're entitled to do that. And the point is, I think, that really... That's the truth. They can fight against the, you know, the introduction of a law, but once it's there, it's there. It's the law, and you're and there they to have to walk within law. that, yeah. and they have to learn to manage within that. Which means we all have to learn to manage what's happening with us or with any of the other drugs that are currently illegal. And it's a very sensible suggestion. Look, I, I think it's it's so long overdue, Marion, and um, I just wish that the amendments um, or, or the government could have just held its nerve and said we're, we're just going to exclude personal possession from the criminal justice system yep. and not have a system of fines because that's still... It's still involving them in the, in the judicial system. It's not what I would another. call decriminalisation. No, it's, and it's, it's still, still, still a step in the right direction. Conviction. It's still a step in the right direction. It is. Um but and we can't expect too big a jump in one go. No, no, that's true. And it takes a lot of courage to, you know, reform. Well, and if we we have um, another story further on, which we may or may not get to, which is about the hallucinogenics and their use in a the therapeutic sense, but we need to have a look at and review the drugs that we're talking about and look at what other uses those drugs have. Yes. Because we are denying... Um, particularly as the at the beginning of the article, it talks about a guy, Richard, who um, was using heroin to cover his pain. Yes. And I would suggest that opioids, and I've been saying it for years, that that's what they do, yeah. cover people's pain, yes. whether it's physical or emotional or both. Yes. Um, or psychosocial pain. It doesn't matter, but it certainly it doesn't get rid of it. It just makes it bearable. Mm. But 
if you can walk around with the level of pain that you've been feeling or without the level of pain that you've been feeling or have that pain but not care so much about it, then you're leading a better life, a better quality of life. Yeah. Um, and to be... To be forced to commit crime or to behave in a way other than uh, just to get money to yeah. support your drug use. So you can handle life a That's little right, bit. Just so you can handle life. So you can tolerate yourself and feel like a normal human being. What you think a normal human being ought to feel like. Yeah. And I'm not altogether sure that any of us knows what that is because everybody is different. You know, people's life and their characters, it's all nuanced. It's all slightly different. And a lot of people have suffered horrendous trauma in their childhood. Indeed, they have all through their teenage years or through their marriages or, you know, there are many places through which or areas of life you think of um, the First Nations people and and the pulling away from their being pulled away from their families, yep. um, and the loss of children. Yep. I mean, I remember meeting a, um, people from an organisation in Victoria called uh, uh, about, about women who've had their children taken away from them. Which is the same Traumatic, thing as the yeah. First Nations. Yeah, yeah, the same thing when young women who had no access to uh, the pill or to and men weren't using condoms there was no reason for men to use condoms mm. like they didn't care so much about sexually transmitted diseases but women were suffering badly through the loss of a child through forced adoptions yeah. because it was such a social socially um demeaning uh thing for for young girls to be Pregnant and unmarried, mm. and often still at school. Yeah. So people were still going to have sex whether you wanted them to or not, and it was the young women that were going to get pregnant. It certainly yeah. wasn't the men. If it had <laughs> been the men, it might have been different a whole story. different kettle of fish. Yeah, indeed. But it certainly didn't, uh, you know, the First Nations people suffered that, but so did many young women that were not First Nations people suffer it, had their families split up and took them, say, 20, 30 years to actually reconnect with the child that they lost yeah. but missed them every day. Of course. Because they, were, they went through nine months of carriage of that child yeah. and often wanted to keep the child but wasn't, weren't allowed to. It's actually perverse to punish people under those circumstances. That's isn't crazy. It? It's, it's and really and it, this is much the same thing, that kind of the whole idea that people's lives are pain-free and that how do you behave like whatever normal is when you are full of pain of one sort or another, mm. I I don't know. I, I don't know what normal is anymore. I, I think I know what I feel like when I feel normal. Mm. It means I can interact with other people. Yeah. But I don't know what normal is to other people. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that there's a lot in that that yep. we need to think about. And it's uh, well worth discussing and opening the discussion for other people. Absolutely. Talk to your friends and family and That's workmates. Right. And, and talk to the police that you come in contact with. Talk to your MP. If you MP, ever come you know. to them in a social 
setting, which often doesn't happen because people, you know, have their own social yep. social set and they hang with them and police yep. often hang with police. Yeah. Um, but it's really important that – and we've gone through this every week, Geoffrey. We yeah. find that yet another ex-commissioner of police have changed their, has changed his or her mind about it, drug use. Prohibition is a And failure. prohibition yeah. hasn't worked. Yeah. Exactly. All right, uh, let's go to a song. Uh, yep. Now, this is actually going to be this song. It's in a <laughs> commercial <laughs> it's a really cover. really, truly. We've yeah. got this one. It's uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers and uh, Under the Bridge.
All right, that was the Red Hot Chili Peppers and Under the Bridge. I've always loved that song, Marion. Yeah, it's a great song. It's a really easy listening to. Yeah, it's a cracker. Okay, okay. you're and listening the, to News from yeah, Drug Warfront. We're are. going on to a story about uh, cough medicine, which... Yeah, this is not news to uh, old-time users who've been uh, using opioids uh, for a long time because very often, um, certainly over my lifetime, opioids weren't available um, on the black market, so we had to use other ways of maintaining our dependence or keeping our drug use going. But anyway, this may be news to some people. It's concerning the use of Rikardine cough medicine, and it uh, is done. The article's by Morgan Liotta, and it's from News GP. Uh, the addictive cough suppressant is popular among young people, more potent than codeine, and possesses a serious risk of harm. And that doesn't mean that I believe all of this stuff, but really the truth is the availability of cough medicine or cough reduction medicine, which is what codeine does, suppresses cough and also suppresses uh, diarrhoea. So yeah. well, this very, is going and around for years, and but now... It's come back to the surface again because obviously people are... Sorry, what were you oh, saying? Oh, this is news been? going out to general practitioners. That's yes. from that perspective, yeah. Yeah, and so it's about... Yeah, and pharmacists, I imagine. Okay, so it says, In recognition of the serious harms and deaths caused by codeines and evidence of its limited analgesic efficacy, the opioid was upscheduled to an S4 prescription-only medicine in 2018. That move helped to significantly reduce dependence, associated harms and overdose deaths. I beg to differ, but yeah, anyway. Yeah, I'd love to know where they got that from. But now the stories are emerging of new risks associated with a codeine-based over-the-counter cough medicine. Rikardine, also so sold as Rikardine oral liquid, contains an active ingredient dihydrocodeine tartrate a derivative of codeine that was unaffected by the 2018 upscheduling. The drug has long been used recreationally after gaining popularity amongst celebrities in the United States, but one GP noticed a recent surge in young people misusing the cough medicine which is available in pharmacies as an S3 medication, which is just over-the-counter, I imagine. I've had a growth of quote. I've had a growth of teenagers becoming addicted to Rikardine ever since COVID. Perth doctor Andrew Leach told News GP. Uh, a couple of he goes on to say a couple of my teenage patients told me they drive from chemist to chemist to accumulate the syrup, then mix it with lemonade to make a drug called Lean. I first heard of that amongst um, hip hop. Um, community in some American cities in the south, this lean. Really, the lean, I, yeah. I didn't realise it was cough medicine mixed with lemonade or whatever. No, I'd, I'd never heard it. Dr Leach is concerned that although this might not be on all GPs' radar, has the potential to lead to harm and addiction. Quote, this is quite serious and puts people at risk of a range of medical complications, he said. I have one teenage patient who is drinking 200 mils of Rikardine nightly, she pours it into a 1.5-litre bottle of lemonade, then sips it at parties. I've obviously advised her, he goes on to say, the serious issues and risks involved with doing this. Her risk of overdose, even death, is significant. I 
wonder where he gets that from. Dihydrocodeine is an opioid analgesic related to codeine with small analgesic, similar, sorry, analgesic activity in which the double bond in the seventh position is saturated. That's actually doctor speak. It is about one-tenth as potent as, as potent as morphine and two to three times more potent than codeine and similar to codeine in other respects. Being a stronger variant with more euphoric effect, it has a greater potential for misuse and dependence. Although more, po- more potent, dihydrocodone is less absorbed than codeine, which is read- readily absorbed orally, but both have the same dose equivalent. Dr Hester Wilson, chair of um, the Royal Australian uh, College of General Practitioners, Practitioners, yes, specific RACGP anyway, specific interest um, addiction medicine, has previously also raised concerns around the misuse of Rycodone. She told News GP that although she does not think many of her patients are using it, there are two specific groups who do, teenagers and older people who developed a dependency who may be regularly drinking large amounts and multiple bottles daily. For these people who have developed a codeine dependency, they absolutely need care and to be supported to change that use, Dr Wilson said. Some of them actually do very well on buprenorphine or methadone as part of an opioid treatment program. For young people, Dr Wilson said, they're more likely to be experimenting with the medicine, highlighting the importance of education around harm minimisation. Quote, it's important to give young people really credible information that this is an an opioid, she said. Some young people don't realise what it is, that it's a sedative, a painkiller that can potentially make you very sedated, put you to sleep if you're mixing it with other sedatives. It can also make you quite constipated. That's not in the article, I might add. Uh, The quote goes on, and potentially big doses, there are risks of overdose. I've had one young person coming to me because they ended up in the emergency department after taking some cough syrup and alcohol at the same time. Inevitably, a problem is the mixing of drugs, Jeffrey. Of and course. that's something we're always uh, warning people about. Yeah. Not always one drug by itself that creates the overdose, it's a combination, combination. of drugs. Dr. Leach believes Rikardine should become script only. Quote The problem is recreationally using the cough medicine is seen as normal and fun thing to do and given the easy access over the counter it's not seen as being potentially serious he said chemists are fairly lenient given one of my patients has managed to maintain her habit daily they need to be more stringent in the way they supply the drug and be on the lookout for adolescents who may be appear to abusing uh, to be abusing it This drug urgently needs review and to become prescription only, especially since COVID, where people have been using it and realising the potential euphoric effects of higher doses of codeine. A spokesperson from the Pharmaceutical Society of Australia told News GP that dihydrocodone is equipotent to codeine, but declined to comment on whether the drug should be upscheduled to prescription only. Sounds like... um, Recruitment for the doctor. This story goes back a long way. I can remember 
um, Paracotin back in the That's 1970s. Right. And it was actually, a, we used it as a maintenance drug and we couldn't get hold of any yeah. heroin. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's this is nothing nothing new. Anyway, look, the piece just goes on to say this a question for the Therapeutic Goods Administration, given that they are in charge of medicine scheduling and rescheduling. Whilst Dr. Wilson doesn't feel strongly about a review of Vicodine, she believes more information is needed on its misuse and GPs need to be involved and approach the issue uh, holistically. Vicodine does cause harm to a small group of people and it has limited benefit as medication, but we need to collect more data around what's actually happening with this medication and the risks and harms that it's causing. Whilst I don't want to limit people's access to medicine, with something like a codeine-containing medicine, it makes sense for there to be a health practitioner in the picture. Well, I thought a pharmacist was a health practitioner. They tell you they are. They yeah. tell you they're a health service provider. I just get concerned, Marion, that the more and more clamping down on, you know, what used to be over-the-counter or accessible medications, the tendency to do something more harmful or yeah. take higher yeah. quantities of, you know... Drives people to other drugs. It certainly does. And really, one of the um, uh, useful... Um, users of things like codeine-based cough medicines I think for things like um, irritable bowel syndrome and it's because that has diarrhoea associated with it and that's what codeine is very good at stopping is uh, diarrhoea. Yeah, your point about the... Um, I'll just finish with the last quote. It says, Rikardine is available over the counter, but it is a Schedule 3 medicine, so it does mean that pharmacists are in the picture and having the conversation, but there can be an issue that a person may go to multiple pharmacies, so GPs need to be aware. Mm. So it's it's really, you know, just another story of let's clamp another, down on like, something. Yeah, okay, let's have another reason to go to the doctor. Yeah. For our prescriptions. All really. right. Haven't played this before, I don't think. It's um, Screaming Jay Hawkins and I Put a Spell on You. Oh, wow. Pretty, I haven't heard that for a long time. Pretty out there. Yeah. I put a spell on you. Because of mine. Stop the things you do. <laughs> What's up?
Screaming Jay Hawkins and I put a spell on you. Yeah. Um, okay, we're coming into the home stretch. It's 12 minutes to midday. Just thought we'd try and do a bit of this piece, um, Psychedelics Unraveling the Science and the Hype uh, by Sarah Culver from insideplus.mja.com.au, September the 5th. Regulators are under increasing pressure to expand access to psychedelic drugs for the treatment of mental, mental Ill- illness. Experts say although the science is promising, the hype is unhelpful. In December 2021, the Therapeutic Goods Administration, the TGA, rejected an application to downschedule psilocybin and MDMA from Schedule 9, prohibited substance, to Schedule 8, controlled substance. The move would have enabled patients to access the drugs through pathways such as the Special Access Scheme. In its decision, the TGA cited expert advice that although psychedelics showed promise in highly selected populations as a psychotherapeutic treatment, this was only in the context of closely clinically supervised settings with intensive professional support. Mm. More high-quality research using larger-scale studies were needed to determine the drug safety and efficacy, the TGA said. In January 2022, then Health Minister Greg Hunt announced that more trials were coming, with nearly $15 of government funding awarded to seven studies of innovative therapies for mental illness. These uh, included studies using MDMA-assisted psychotherapy for treatment-resistant social anxiety in young adults with autism spectrum disorder, psilocybin-assisted psychotherapy for anorexia nervosa, and treatment-resistant depression and MDMA-assisted exposure therapy for comorbid alcohol use disorder and PTSD. Well, yeah, I remember hearing that lots of people who were mini-micro-dosing. Micro-dosing, yeah. yeah, on a daily basis to actually keep themselves in a stable uh, emotional state during the day. MDMA and psilocybin-assisted psychotherapy. Melbourne psychiatrist Dr Nigel Strauss has been at the forefront of efforts to bring psychedelic medical research to Australia. He's personally helping fund a trial at Monash University using MDMA-assisted psychotherapy for treatment-resistant PTSD. He's also involved in a trial at St Vincent Hospital, Melbourne, using psilocybin-assisted psychotherapy for end-of-life anxiety, and another at Swinburne University of Technology of psilocybin-assisted psychotherapy for treatment-resistant depression. Dr. Strauss said he was optimistic that the recent federal funding would help legitimise research in the sector, which has been stigmatised because of the history of recreational psychedelic drug use. Psychiatric drugs, I tell you, are no fun. Quote, there's probably enough soft evidence for the, from the era of psychedelics back in the 1970s to suggest these drugs are going to be effective, he told Inside Plus. Quote, they're not going to be a panacea, even though I hear certain organisations over-exaggerating their potential to solve the mental health crisis. Careful patient selection is crucial. Dr Strauss said psychedelic-assisted 
uh, therapy typically involved a patient being administered the substance in a treatment session lasting up to eight hours. The patient wears an eye mask and listens to gentle music under the supervision of two therapists. Depending on the condition, psychotherapy can be done during the dosing session or afterwards in what is described as integration work. It works by enabling neuroplasticity, Dr Strauss said. People see things in a different way and that helps in psychiatric conditions characterised by rigidity of thought. In relation to the treatment of PTSD with MDMA-assisted therapy, Dr Strauss said psychiatric and psychological treatments in the past have not always been effective. I would have said they're not been effective at all because they're only control mechanisms. Quote, MDMA allows patients to go back to those frightening experiences and reprocess those events. He said, Dr Strauss said MDMA-assisted psychotherapy for PTSD was the front-runner to become the first approved psychedelic medicine application in the world. Now, this is not the first time this has been raised, I might add, Geoffrey. This was when I'm a psych-trained nurse. Yeah. And when I was started my training in 1972, uh, sorry, 1970, I had a hiatus where I went to Indonesia for three months, then went back to work in Sydney at brought what was then Broughton Hall Psychiatric Centre, and Dr Harry Freeman uh, and a psychologist were using uh, psych- psychedelic treatment drugs as treatment because they considered that those drugs, like uh, LSD, were in fact... Um, almost like a, uh, a, a psychotic episode in themselves and that if it was a pleasant experience as opposed to an unpleasant experience rather than freaking out, people would have a better time and would rethink the trauma of whatever the event they were going through. So this eight hours of psychotherapy is about the length yeah. of um, an LSD experience if you like um and at the end of the acid trip or the lsd trip you find that that's when you become really philosophical about you about the use and the experience itself and in fact i remember coming up and telling my mother that really the answer to everything in the world was trust wow (laughs) and it was for me it was a really deep realization but it was just one of those things where if you go through, if you used in the right way, yeah. it can be very, very, very therapeutic drug, a very useful drug, an emotionally healing drug. Um, so yeah, while I think it's an actual, it's an interesting thing that they're spending fourteen point eight million dollars on um, trials for this kind of treatment. But I also think. It's very useful to look at psychiatric therapies because the drugs they're using in psychiatry have only ever been used to yeah. control behaviour, yeah. and that's uh, just damaging. Yeah. I think it's not fixing the. No, issue. it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't mend people, and really, that's what we would want to do: is not just control their behaviour, not like a prison of drugs, but those drugs are very definitely um, addictive, and they are a nasty addiction and very difficult to come off without assistance. And psychiatrists don't encourage you to come off those drugs. Such a shame. Stay on them for life. Prohibition has prevented 
a lot of this research had been done decades ago. I well, mean, it, it's the propaganda that goes along with it, Jeff. Yeah. You know, just it's and you know we know we've known that for such a long time, but yeah. it's just the, a shame that the. What they do is create a pocket of, if you like, medicine or anti-medicine, psychiatry or anti-psychiatry and make it a specialist zone into which only a select few may mm-hmm. enter and be professional. And that's a real problem mm-hmm. when you think that a good proportion of the treatments that are used around the world and have been for thousands of years are available free yeah. if you just grow them in your backyard. That's true. Yeah? yeah. So, I mean, psilocybin comes from, you know, from you can get them from mushrooms or from cactus. Yeah. You know, it's just yeah. just stuff like that that is really quite simple. Yeah. But you only ever had a nice trip if you had someone with you that was prepared to make it nice for you. Yeah. Retain the niceness, if you like. So, yeah. It's just, well, let's hope something positive comes from these studies. And yeah, uh, yeah. I would like to say that. And I'm sure people who are undergoing any kind of psychiatric treatment at the moment would like to know that there was some kind of pleasant um, therapy yeah. involved in their treatment, so-called treatment, because at the moment I don't think psychiatry is anywhere close to treatment as such. Control, it's about nothing else. All right, thank you, listeners, for listening. Um, yes. Don't forget the Radiothon next week, and we shall return same time next week. And look after each other, look after yourselves, and we'll talk to you again next week. Indeed. Love Take you care, all. everyone. Bye-bye. Texture like sun Lays me down With my mind she runs Throughout the night No need to fight Never a frown With golden brown Every time Just like the last On her ship Tied to the mast Two distant lands Takes both my hands Never a frown with golden brown Golden brown, fine attemptress Through the ages she's heading west From far away, stays for a day Never a frown